Loaded Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. <laughs> oh God, what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> I think Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holder midfielder, so it's just who goes. Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Loaded Sport. It's that time of the week yet again where we've got a full squad tonight, lads, where we uh, go through all the latest in the sporting world. Like I just spoiled for you there, as Aggie would say, absolutely fuming. Uh, we have got a full squad uh, after last week's shenanigans. Aggie was sunning it up in sunny Skegness and I could not for the laugh of me join on a secure connection. So Sam and Kemp, well done lads. It was a uh, it was a tough job at last minute because we did start recording and then uh, had to be at about 10 minutes in. So uh, fair play for, for what you delivered. I enjoyed sitting in the background with a grumpy face listening to what you had to say. Uh, without having any input. So uh, I'll bring you in one by one, see how you are. First of all, Sam, you look like you're wearing a little bit of a classic there, so uh, tell me and the viewers all about it. No, mate, quite the opposite, actually. It's uh, it's last season's, you know, with the... Um, it? It looks quite look, retro You know, today. with the tyre track mark on it, it looks like it's been run yeah. over. Yeah, it's, it's uh, last season's, mate. It got delivered today, so it's fresh out of the bag. Not even been washed. Chucked it straight on for the podcast. Uh, yeah, ready for it. It's good, to have, uh, it's good to have a full squad back as well, by the way. Yeah, I bet, mate. I bet it looks well, mate. Yeah, it does look a bit retro. I, I, it's, it's the colour, like, isn't it? Yeah, it is the colour. Yeah, it's got some like nineteen eighties vibes. But uh, a man that laughed a little bit at the tire track mark. I'm going to guess potentially has some uh, something to do with uh, Chesterfield's new shirt. A lot of people have said it looks like it's been run over, but it is actually the Crooked Spire on the new home and away shirt this season. But uh, Aggie, welcome back, mate. How are you? And uh, how was your holiday? I'm good, mate. Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, really enjoyable. From a holiday that we thought was just going to be, you know, chill inside, just enjoy being away and having a bit of a break. When the weather hits you at 20-summit degrees, the last thing you want to do is just be sat inside. So, went out, enjoyed the sun, spent a lot of money, put on a lot of weight. What's to complain about, really? It's all point of being on holiday, isn't it? And um, we, we had a, a sweepstake during the week. Uh, we kept it private from you, but uh, we put the sweepstake out. And how many portions of chips... Uh, you would have while you were away. Uh, in uh, 10 days away, I had um, 20 yeah. portions of chips. I was going for a solid lunch and, uh, or dinner and tea every single day. Sam yeah. went 17 and Kemp went for 15. How many was the total of uh, portions of chips while you were away? Two. Two. Two Fucking portions hell. of chips. That's, uh, that's a win for the bookies there, I reckon, with uh, with two. But anyway, last by no means least, last week's host, the man that jumped in at last minute, and I'll try and give him an easy ride tonight to make up for it. Mr. Thomas Kemp, a.k.a. Kempy, has changed it, which is always good to see. How are you, mate? Yeah, all good, mate. Thank you. Glad you are back because hosting is not my number one job. Absolutely not. Try my best, but yeah, I won't be giving up my uh, punditry for the hosting job anytime soon. I can tell you that for a fact. Mr. Dawson, Mr. White, man with the mic, you little slick back slut, you. Welcome back. Happy days, full squad. And lads, we've got football to talk about. We've got Kempe's Combat Corner with previews and reviews as always. We've got the return of Formula One with the Dutch Grand Prix. Me and Aggie will get into that later and I'm sure Sam will uh, will be unable yeah. to resist getting his... You say this every week, mate, and then when it comes up, someone mentions Lando and you're in. So uh, we'll, see, <laughs> we'll see in maybe about an hour or so. Like I on commentary, comes alive. 
mate. <laughs> Florida Stanley Aggie is on uh, on commentary, just for any office fans out there that want to know the difference. Um, but, of course, we do have football, and there's quite a lot to talk about this week. Before I do that, um, a podcast clip that was shared in and amongst the group, I think by uh, you, Sam, weren't it? From it the, was. Uh, from the, yeah, the new podcast, I can't think of the name, between Gary Lineker, Michael Richards, and Alan Shearer, a game called Loyal Man which was quite entertaining on the clip, and I thought we'd absolutely butcher it, ruin it, not compete with it in any way, shape, or form, and we'd have it again. So, um, for the I want to say, I want to say, I want to say, for the love of the game, for the love of the game Maybe. podcast, I think that that's ringing a bell. Yeah, I think, I think you're about there with that. So basically, the rules are: I, I've spun the wheel, I've bought the wheel back, lads, because we're not doing the locking anymore. But hey! I've the wheel back, so, and I have randomly generated a football player. So I'm going to put out the name of this football player, and then the order is Aggie then Kemp, then Sam. So I'll, I will give a football player. Aggie will then give a football club that that player has played for. The next person, which will be Kemp, will give another player that has played for that club. Sam will then give a team that that player has played for, and so on and so forth. Now, I've no doubt that we're going to fail on Aggie, and we'll decide whether <laughs> we go again, but we'll see how it goes. There's a golden rule in it that I don't think you might have picked up. <clears throat> it's called bullshit. If you, if you are, it's your go. And you cannot think of one at all. You can make it up and you can bluff like fuck. And if you don't get called out on it, you keep going. But if someone says bullshit, you're done. Okay, so for well, entertainment purposes, should I'm we just call Pete. bullshit on Aggie? <laughs> I'm, sli- I'm slipping Peter Oden Wingy in there at least twice. It's <laughs> fine. Name, name any fucking club in the top three leagues and you'll, you'll nail it. You'll be able to bluff it. He turned up at half of them just on transfer deadline day, didn't he? Bless him. But anyway, let's crack on, lads. So. Aggie, you are up, then Kemp, then Sam. Aggie, you need to name a football club that Virgil van Dijk has played for. Southampton. So I, so I now need to name another club he's played for. Now, no, player. you need to name a player that has played for Southampton. Other than van Dijk. Ah, OK, OK, OK. Matt Letizia. I fucking knew we were going to do that, you prick. <laughs> I literally can't do much there, can I? Well, one, cl- one club wonder, that's it. Right, Sam starts off, I suppose. Chuck a chuck a player out there. Uh, we can't we can't just go into football. So I, can't I should have done that. I should have. I no, should have absolutely killed it. My competitive streak just took over. Yeah, absolutely killed it. Pathetic, mate. Absolutely pathetic. That's Axel for saying Southampton for Van Dyke and not yeah, Liverpool. Should have said Celtic. <laughs> uh, Wayne Rooney. Um, so that would be me. So Everton. Tim Cale. <laughs> Is that me? Yeah. yeah. Tim Cahill oh. was the player. Can we use national one. sides? No. I've, I've got one straight away as well. Millwall? Yes. yes. Nice. Sam, name a player that played for Millwall. <laughs> Dennis Wise. Chelsea. Um, Aggie. Frank Lampard. Wester. Uh, hang on. Someone else plays Chelsea. Um... No, no. No, you didn't even have a team that Lampard's played for. West Ham would have been. Oh, West Ham. West Ham. West Ham. Yeah, yeah. West Ham. Jermaine Defoe. Tottenham. Peter Crouch. Portsmouth. Glenn Johnson. Our man. Our man. Chelsea. Mario Melchior. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> I think I've got one as well. I think I've got, I've got one. one. Right. 
It's not Mark. Do- it's not Mark. Do- Dawson, I'll, I'll veto to Dawson then. So oh, let's veto to you, Dawson, because you might be able to keep it going and I'll, See, I'll step into your... You could have... Well. I was right, yes! You could have bullshitted there, Kemp. So you could I don't have know. I, Dynamo Zagreb. <laughs> bullshit. Um, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I who would, he is. Um, I would have gone Wigan and he did play for Wigan. I would have gone Birmingham. I think, is he not before my time? When did he play? Slightly before. Chelsea, yeah, Slightly not as early 2000s. So. Oh, mate. No, no chance. No chance. Yeah. No, good for well done, Mike. Fair play. Fair play, mate. Well done. Should Should we have play. one more go or are we calling it there? We'll call, call it there. We'll we'll pick that up another <laughs> another episode. Good bad. Let's just have let's just have an hour long special of playing that. Enjoy <laughs> it. Um, but anyway, football and some uh, probably some more serious uh, discussion to start off this week. Let's get it out of the way. And it is the confirmation um, uh, that Man- Manchester United, sorry, have announced that Mason Greenwood will no longer play for the club. Now there were some rumours circulating late last week. that They were sort of preparing to bring him back, which received a lot of backlash on social media. Um, and we did say at the time, there's no point talking about it at that point. We might as well wait until an official confirmation came in. And that has come through this week. So, yeah, the decision has been made. Statements were released on Monday. Uh, yeah, it was Monday from Mason Greenwood, from Manchester United as a club, and from um, Richard Arnold, the chief executive as well, in terms of how it came, how they came about those decisions. So, yeah, the decision is... Um, he will no longer play for Manchester United. I'm sure we've all got our thoughts. They might all be the same thoughts. If they are, for the sake of argument, we'll sort of chuck out some opposing arguments to that. But it's it's a it's a bit of a, a minefield, the subject. But Sam, I'll come to you first because we've spoken quite a bit about it, and we were sort of first on the ball when the when the statements came out. What what are your thoughts? Do you agree? Is it the right decision for the player for the club? Where's sort of your mindset on it? Yeah, I think it's the only decision that they could have come to, really. It sounded like a couple of days prior to that, they were kind of testing the water and seeing the reaction of possibly bringing him back into the fold, but they got a massive backlash. You had all kinds of high-profile United fans like Rachel Riley coming saying, well, I'll never support the club again if if he plays for that team again. So, yeah, they've kind of recoiled and done a, done a 180 on that. Uh, it's the right decision. I, I do feel for United because I think United were in a really tough position they've, had, they've been reviewing the, an internal club review since February um, which yeah it's, it's the end of August I, I'm quite glad that they've taken the time with it and not just you know rushed in something and, and made a ridiculous decision so they've they've really done the due diligence um, and the only thing I, I really feel for is obviously other than, other than the Gale Blesser um, is it's united the fact that obviously they're missing out on a really good transfer fee here and because at one point like Simon Jones said on the talk sport the other day in, in this current climate he's valued about, I bet he's valued between probably 60 to 80 million at the minute Mason Greenwood when he was you know coming into his own is one of probably England's most promising wingers slash forwards so yeah they're missing out on a really you know a good young promising player um, a, a really decent transfer fee but you know so what when it comes to it what he's done he's done we've all heard it there's, there's no real getting around it um, in his statement he said something about all the charges were it was really weird, weird how he phrased it what did he say can you remember it was something like all the charges against me have been um... basically there's a lot of muddy water in there there's a yeah. fact that a lot of people say well char- charges were dropped it went like you were cleared in court exactly. and you found not guilty um, again, something you said there that I slightly disagree. That was with it. That is, was it. Um, that was it. He said cleared. I was cleared of all charges, and I said, "Well, I thought, well, yeah, you haven't been cleared of all charges. The charges have been dropped, which is a different thing entirely." But yeah, go on, carry on. Um, I can't remember what, what what it was I was going to say, but oh yeah, that was it. So 
they've come to this decision, but by pretty much all accounts, and, and someone that did a, a thread the other day, I did send it, I don't know if anyone read it, of all this reporting and journalism they'd done and, and sort of investigating, the plan was, by pretty much every account, that they were going to bring him back. And it's only because of this backlash towards the end of last week that they've now changed their mind and realised like they, they just can't do it. So I I don't as a as a United fan, like, I don't really care. It's hundred percent the right thing. I've said from day one, I don't want him in the club. Yes, they can say in the statement, well, we've had full context on the audio clips and, and all this kind of stuff. And yes, the charges were dropped, but he, he, like taking out the morality side of it and whether you agree he should play based on what he did, based on what we saw, like the, the spotlight on Manchester United, how can you bring him back? How can you put him back in that? The, there's going All the media attention will be on that. The the women's team have clearly you know spoke out about how they don't feel comfortable. There, there are no... For me, there is not one positive reason or, or reason that you can give me that would make sense to bring him back. There's just none. Like, I don't know if anyone can give me anything that I wouldn't turn around and say, actually, yeah, fair enough. Like, no, no, you're absolutely right. There's there's no there's no one thing that will possibly justify that decision. Like you say, no matter how good the player is, what he's done is done is is bigger than football. So yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. Ken, what are, what are your thoughts on it? I know um, you know you tend to like bringing in sort of the alternative argument, whether you agree with it or not, just for the sake of debate and conversation. But a lot of people have said, well. He wasn't found guilty. A lot of people have said, oh, he's a young lad and he made a mistake. And, you know, you've got people deserve the opportunity to change and all this kind of stuff. Do you think that there is reason and logic to that? Or is it just a case of it was too much? It's too big of a, a spotlight and he just needs to go somewhere where he can hide away, get his football back on track. You know, where do you sort of stand on that side of it? Yeah, I think there's two schools of thought. Um, you mentioned there, I, I like to present different opinions and and play devil's advocate a lot of the time, even if I don't agree with what I'm saying, I'll I'll, I'll say it just for, for conversation's sake. Uh, not going to do that in this case, on this occasion, and I can't bring myself to do that on this occasion. I think the difference between, I'm not going to go into what we all do for a living, but the difference between what we all do for a living and, and what Mason Greenwood does for a living or, or, or has done for a living is that he's an inspiration to young boys and young girls up and down the country and all over the world. And he plays for the most, or one of the most, you know, prestigious and famous football clubs in the world um, that's been built on, you know, respect. It's been built on, you know, dignity. Being, these are the found, founding things of Manchester United. Um, so after what came out and, and the transcripts and the audio recordings of, of what happened with Mason Greenwood and, and his partner, um, for me, there was no feasible way that he could play for Manchester United ever again. They've come to the right decision, but the way that they've got there, is is it's been a, a shower of shit. Let's be honest, it's been a real shower of shit. And I think Richard Arnold needs to step down. I think heads need to roll after what what's happened in these last few months. Yes, they've been going through an internal investigation since February of this year, which is absolutely the right thing to do. I think if Manchester United, if, you know, as soon as that audio recording came out and said, right, that's it, he's gone. I think that would be a little bit difficult because there needs to be due process. But at the same time, there were leaks from the club which has just been, ever since Fergie retired, it's been a, 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 a trademark, a hallmark of Man United. Everything that you know goes into the club leaks out the bottom. It's like a bloody sieve most of the time. It's Man United these days with information. But there's obviously leaks from the club, like you say, Dawson, that the chances were that they were probably going to bring him back. Um, I said, I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago that even if their plan was to bring him back, he won't go. It won't go back because of the backlash they'll face, and that's exactly what's happened, and rightfully so. But 
again, the way that they've come to this decision, even though it's the right one, is is a really you know poor way of going about it. You know, they they even, as as far as I'm aware, Richard Arnold wrote a list of people that were going to be um, objective, ob- objecting to or, or deniers or something like that. I can't remember how he phrased it, but groups of people that would object to Mason Greenwood going back to Manchester United. And without even speaking to them, you know, he put down domestic abuse charities on that list. It's like the way that he's gone about it and the way that the club have gone about it, even though it's a correct decision in the end, it reflects really poorly on Manchester United. And and hopefully Mason Greenwood can repent for what he's done and, and get his life back on track. If he says, you know, he says he's made a mistake and that's, that's up to him what he says. Hopefully he can get his life back on track and learn from it. But Manchester United have not really put themselves in a very good light in this situation, and uh, hopefully they can um, they can do what they can to try and salvage the very little amount of dignity they've got left. Because, in my opinion, after this situation, it's not a lot. I think, um, yeah, the fact that you, you did mention he is obviously young and, and twenty one. Um, I seen someone raise a good point the other day. Is we all know we've all been guilty of loving Mike Tyson over you know some points over the year and he is an actual convicted rapist there's not that's not debate it's not charges dropped he is a convicted rapist and yet people around the world love him in the millions and they, they turned out for him in, in the boxing world mason greenwood is is of that ilk that he, he's still he was young when he committed the offense or you know so-called offense so what 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 difference do you can you draw and what what lines can you draw in parallels between mason greenwood and mike tyson um i think the only difference that you can say and and you make a really good point you know a lot of people love Mike Tyson as a boxer and probably don't like Mike Tyson as he was when he was younger or whatever it might be um I think people look upon Mike Tyson now and, and there's a lot of time that's passed between then and now so it's not as fresh in people's minds um I think in 30 years time 20 years time I don't think people remember particularly this Mason Greenwood situation but I think it's different because as a footballer you are brought up and you're put in front of the fans and you're an idol and you're made to be this and that's what you want to be as a footballer. You want to be this idol. You want to be a role model for kids. You want to be a good example for your club and you're representing something as a footballer. I think the difference is is that Mike Tyson, as well as many other things that he's done in his personal life, again, convicted rapist and that's that's whichever way you spin it, that's it's a disgusting thing to be. But I think the difference is, is that Mike Tyson was only ever representing himself in that way. He was convicted, he did his time. Um, it's not right. Absolutely spot on in that it's not right. And, and you know, that, that younger version of Mike Tyson was a, a scumbag for doing what he did. But again, there's two things in that respect for me. There's time, time passed between now and when that happened. And there's also the second thing in that Mike Tyson only ever represented one person himself. And never said, I'm a role model, never said this, never said that, you know, came from a really, really rough background himself with crime and drugs and ultimately paid the price for it, got convicted of it, served his time and came out of prison. I think the difference is, is that a lot of people look at the Mason Greenwood situation and think, rightly or wrongly, he should have been charged. He should have been convicted. That should have happened. He should have gone through the criminal justice system. And maybe if he would have been charged, would have gone to prison for a few years and got out. You know, maybe people wouldn't even be looking at him in, in the same light as they're looking at him now. It's very difficult and it's very good to, parallel to draw, but they are two different situations in the sports that they played, but they are the same situation in the offence that, that happened. And and like you say, Sam, it's, it's, it's an interesting parallel to draw. 
It'd be interesting if if a lot of the thought is because a we have heard or seen some of the evidence, so that will naturally sort of help you make up your mind. And also the fact that Mike Tyson did do time, so is part of that now. The you know people say, well, if we're talking about opportunity, if we're talking about allowing people to change, if he's done his time and has shown his change, do you have to allow someone like give someone that benefit? If that makes sense. Yeah, probably not wording it in the best way whereas Mason Greenwood hasn't done that so maybe and again like Kemp said it's very fresh so you know I imagine that'll uh, that'll have some but yeah we, we had to talk about it I think we're, we're all pretty much of the uh, the same opinion it was absolutely the right thing to do but me as a Manchester United fan I'm, I'm very disappointed completely agree with you Sam it couldn't have been a snap decision they had to take time but I just think it's very messy and just, yeah, not great for how we'd expect a club or a business of that level to, to have been running that situation. And, yeah, very disappointing. It's left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, but uh, it'll all be forgotten about in six months, won't it, when he's playing somewhere else and everyone's moved on. But, yeah, that's what it is for now. Um, on to the past weekend's Premier League action. Um, and, Aggie, I'm going to come to you, mate, because you, you said you didn't really have too much to say that was different or otherwise that previous subject. I'm going to bring forward one subject, which is one of your favourites, and that is VAR. It was spoken about last week. It's going to get spoken about. It was spoken about a previous week when I think it was you three. And if things keep happening, it's going to get brought up. But this weekend alone, in the Manchester United versus Tottenham game, Manchester United were denied a penalty for handball, which, again, by most accounts, people said it should have been a penalty. Uh, Liverpool were given a penalty, which, again, by most accounts, including mine, say that it was a fucking blatant dive. Like, how can you re-watch that and say it's still a pen? Uh, but also on the flip side, um, Alexis McAllister for Liverpool was sent off straight red given for a tackle. I said at the time it was in no way a red. Again, pretty much all accounts said it wasn't a red. Um, and it wasn't overturned. Uh, on the on the day, uh, that three-match ban has since been overturned. So three big things there. One penalty not given, one penalty given, one red card given, which by pretty much all accounts shouldn't have been the case. Adam, referees can't get it right. Human error happens. You know, we know why VAR was brought in in the first place, but if it's not going to make the right decision, what's the point? You're right, and I've said this plenty of times, and I'm sure you guys at points have all agreed with me that, yeah, human error happens and referees do sometimes get it wrong, but VAR was brought in to eliminate that and to reduce the amount of times that's happening. So why are we sat here still talking about three or four occasions over the last week, just over a week, where VAR have got it wrong? I mean, I've not seen the the dive, so I'm not going to comment on that one, but I've seen the the handball. To me, that was a blatant handball. I felt that was a penalty. Um, We're going to talk about... um, the red card, how VAR hasn't picked up that that's not a red card. A straight red, I think it was as well, wasn't it? So how straight VAR's red, yeah. not picked that up, I've, I've absolutely no idea. And this even said afterwards in, uh, in you know, punditry, the re- I think it was the referee, wasn't it, that's in the punditry box that said, you know, that for me isn't a red card. And I think there needs to be some sort of consistency amongst officiating and why we're sat here watching it on TV thinking, you know, we can see that that's not a red card or we can see that's a penalty. Or it happened before with Manchester United against uh, Wolves the week before. Afterwards, should they came, should have been a penalty. And they came out afterwards and apologised. And how's that going to help Wolves? The apology isn't going to help Wolves because the week later, we're still making same sort of errors where VAR aren't correcting them. So an apology only counts if you're actually making good on it and, and improving for next time. And that's something that VAR aren't doing. So for me, we need to we need to actually get some consistency within it. We need to get it right and then start using it. And at the moment, we've been using it now for too long incorrectly. 
camp you uh, you wanted to come in there? Is there is there a different argument you've got? Are there any decisions that you do think were actually the right ones? No, no, not not that at all. I think everything Adam said there in terms of the decision making is right. Um, and to be fair, he kind of said what I'm going to say now, right at the end of his sentence there, in that this is not the technology. This is not the technology's fault. The technology was brought in for a reason. Okay, and. The, one of the reasons that it was brought in is because of what happened to Sheffield United when we were in the Premier League in the 2000s. Played Liverpool at home, I remember it very, very clearly. Gerard dived in the penalty area, we were winning 1-0, they got a penalty and it was 1-1. After the game, the referee come out, defended himself, all that crap that they still do with VAR to this day. Dawson, you mentioned there, there will always, always, always be human error while we've got humans refereeing the game of football. That will happen until robots, robots take over and AI takes over it all, which may or may not happen. But that's what's wrong with VAR. It's not the technology. There isn't a VAR god that that makes the decisions and, and relays them to the referees. It's the referees and the VAR people that operate the VAR that look at the decision and make the decision based on the VAR, based on the evidence they've been provided with. Okay, This is not VAR's fault. This is the official's fault because, Adam, as you rightly say there, they're not using VAR correctly and they're not using it consistently. Now, that's the same problem that we've had in this country for years and years and years with referees. Not, no consistency and, and no fairness. All the top clubs, all the big clubs get all the decisions and all the clubs towards the bottom end of the league don't get a fuck all because you're Sheffield United, you're Watford, you're whoever, insert team here, you don't deserve the decision. And it's always been biased towards big teams. The only difference is now is that they've got cameras all over the pitch and it shows you the decisions in the, in the, you know, in, in the, in the VAR room. So for me, again... Not the technology. Technology needs to stay. The officiating needs to improve. But it's a never, you know, it's a never-ending improvement that we'll always need until, like I say, we've got AI literally refereeing the game. But what I think is very interesting, before I come back to you, Dawson, is that there's a lot of people that criticise VAR. There's a lot of people that say VAR is ruining the game. It's it's shit. It's this. It's that. It shouldn't be in the game. The other day there was a decision given against Leeds where a West Brom player for their equaliser. I think he scored, or it might have been the first goal, he scored and it should have been handball or something like that. And all I heard people talking about, we need to get VAR in the championship, we need to get VAR in the championship. So if VAR's that bad, all you VAR detractors, why the hell do you want it in the championship as well? Yeah, that's a fair point. You mentioned about the big clubs, I was going to argue that um, despite the fact United benefited from it on Monday, they did it on Saturday, but that would then mean that I'm claiming they're a big club and I don't, I'm don't. i starting to think they're not anymore, so we'll leave that there. But uh, just on the on the back of United, regardless of whether the penalty was given or not, whether or not it should have been a penalty, 2-0 loss against Tottenham on Saturday evening in that half-five kick-off and they were uh, they were shocking. Give Tottenham their, their credit, they, they played well. Give Tottenham's keeper credit, he made some really good saves and United do have ch- did have chances, but... You know, it's a bit of a similar position to this time last season where they, they started the season slow. Yes, they won on Monday, but, you know, Wolves should have had an opportunity very late on to equalise. It's, yeah, it, it's hard to be excited about what this season will uh, will bring as it stands. But look, only what two games played in, in the Premier League, so it's hard to really sort of make full judgments. But Sam, I'll, I'll come to you for this one. Where do you sort of, is it on the pitch? Is it off the pitch? People moan about the Glazers, but they've spent a lot of money. It's not like they're not, it's not like a Mark Ashley at Newcastle where they're not putting money into the club. They spent a hell of a lot of money. So where is it on the pitch, whether that's the players, whether that's how Ten Hag wants them to play, whatever it might be in your opinion, where do you think 
they're really struggling to to play alongside the likes of your Man Cities at the moment. I think it's a cross between the players and Ten Hag, myself. Um, Ten Hag takes a lot of the brunt for the first game against Wolves. I know, granted, they took on with three points, but the, how they set up with Casemiro in the middle and Mason Mount alongside him, and Mount was just nowhere near any kind of defending. It was just leaving Casemiro exposed, so that's on the manager. Um, I must admit, I didn't watch much of the Tottenham game at all, so I, I can't really comment too much on that. But the players have just got to take massive responsibility. You're getting the likes of Bruno Fernandes. I'll be honest, Bruno Fernandes, for me, is not a Man United captain. Um, when when the decision was made for, for him to take over captaincy, I didn't like it. I think he's, he's a drama queen. He throws his hands about. He has a tantrum. He goes missing in a lot of games. He's probably one of the better attacking players when he's on his day, but I, I, as, as a leader, I just don't see that in him whatsoever. Um, Can I just uh, very, very quickly jump in there because it's relevant? I claimed earlier today in the chat that uh, I had a huge claim ready for tonight. Now, not only do I agree with you, Sam, that Bruno Fernandes is not the right person to be the captain of Manchester United, I also think that despite how good he is on his day, he is not the right player to be a part of the team that Ten Hag wants to build either. I think he is a detriment to the team. I think he's a detriment to the progress. And yes, he came in and he was fantastic under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he first joined the club, but his stats have gone downhill since. And I completely agree with everything that you just said there. It's just like he's annoyed at everything. It's just how he presents himself. Like a Casemiro, for example, I think would be the perfect captain. He's oh, been 100%. there. He's, he's, he's won it all. He's been an integral part of that, you know, Real Madrid team that won five Champions Leagues and all that kind of stuff. You see that fire. You see. His celebrations last season when t- when they score and how he drives them when they're losing and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just don't see that from Bruno Fernandes. And, and also, again, he's good. Like, he had the, I don't know if you saw the Rabona cross that he had, but then he missed that absolute sitter. Um, yes, he had the shot for the pen. I just, there's just something about him that I've got. He's a quality player. I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that I think he's a bad player because that's not it at all. I just think for, for, for the values that Ten Hag has, for the type of team, that he wants to build, not just in terms of the style of play, but how they are as a team and as a unit. I think he's he's, he's just not worth it. I think he's more of a detriment than he is a positive to that. And I, I know a lot of United fans will not agree with me on that. There's one thing saying he's not he shouldn't be captain. Another thing to say that he should they should sell him and, and rate, get the money. And, and I just I think he, yeah I just I think they're losing out more than what they're gaining from having him in the team personally. Um, whether that's a bit too much of a claim or a bit silly, I don't know, but that's just how I, I feel. It's, uh, it's definitely it's definitely a bold claim, hundred percent. But I don't think um, I don't think I can pretty much fault you for it. I, I started off by saying I don't think you're a captain material, but um, I probably wouldn't go as far as say I'd, I'd sell him. But that that's just me. Like I said, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it against Tottenham, but uh, yeah, it's it just not the sort of leader for me. You're looking at your Varans or your Martinez. Either of them pair, I think for me, would be a, just a natural United captain. Even Luke Shaw, I'd have him at a Bruno Fernandez. All leaders, of, all leaders of the uh, the club that have been there a few years. Well, Martin has not been there a few years, but um, he's he's got that leader about him. He's got that fieriness about him. He doesn't throw his arms, doesn't have tantrums. He just gets his head down. He's, he's a good player. <clears throat> so yeah, I know I I, come, I do I do agree with you to, to some extent that um, that he's not quite doesn't quite fit into that system that uh, that Ten Hag's wanting to play. I, I can I can kind of see that where you're coming from. But as I, as I was saying. I think a lot of the players have got to hold the round up. Rashford's form is really poor again. Again, I know he's playing in up top and he first play from the left these days, so there, there is that. Um, 
Mount's not found his feet. Fernandez is poor. Casemiro's getting found out because he's doing too much in that midfield on his own. Um, Anthony, Anthony's Anthony is not really seeming to get going at all. Mate, I've always said players coming in from Europe, you've got to give them a season. But I, I, again, I feel like I'm re- being really negative and I'm like throwing toys out, out the pram off of one bad result. But I cannot see how he is a benefit to that team. He gets the ball out wide. And he holds it and he passes it back. And he'll do a drop. The, the only thing that he's got into moving forward is a quote inside and he'll, he'll try and shoot. He's only mm. I think he's scored twice from doing that. I've about 40 times of doing it. Like, I, I I just don't see what he offers from an attacking perspective like at all. I'm not seeing anything for me to say, oh, there's a potential or he'll need time. I, I'm just not seeing it at all. No, I'd probably agree with you there. That's that. That's all I've got to yeah. say. So, yeah. so just with you, with you saying that there, it was just a, a stat that I'm just very quickly trying to find. Kemp, as a bit of a, you've always claimed that United do have a, you've got a little soft spot in your heart for them. What, what are your thoughts at the minute in terms of what they're delivering on the pitch? I'm just looking at the corner of my uh, screen, um, and I'm just making sure that we are August, right? Uh, yes. 23rd of August, yeah. Yeah. Two games. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know where Everybody you're going. needs to fucking chill out a little bit. Now, I'm not just saying this because I picked United to win league. Oh, it's funny, whatever. Last season, they lost two in a row. They got battered. They got battered both times. Yes, they only lost two one against Brighton, but they got humiliated by fucking Brentford. Brentford. Four nil it was in the end against Brentford, who were you know still new to the league at that point in time. They've got three points from two games. One of those games is Spurs away, and, and you know, Andrew's come in. They're feeling a real bounce of positivity after Andrew's come through the door. First off, against Spurs, it was 50-50. It was a 50-50 game. They weren't terrible by any means necessary. And then in the second half, they had a bad performance. First game against Wolves, they got three points. Doesn't matter how you get three points. You got three points. By hook or by crook, they got three points. I've been down to Bramall Lane and seen before, and I've seen some shocking performances, and we've come away with three points. And, you know, at the end of the season, when we've done what we've done, finished mid-table, playoffs, even got relegated, you don't look at that game and think, oh, did well to get three points out of that. It's three points. It's on the board. It's a course of history. Manchester United have got that three points from that Monday night game, and that's that. So all these Man United fans ringing up saying about, oh, Ten Hag, Anthony, Casemiro, Rashford, all this shit. Rashford's not playing in his natural position. Sam, you said last year to us, he's better playing off, off the left. He absolutely is. I completely agree. I thought his better position was was up front back then. He's proved me wrong, and you proved me you proved me wrong in that respect as well. Rashford needs to play off the left. They need to get Hoyland in up top when he's fully fit, and 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 they need to get into a routine where they understand Ten Hag's system and they get it. Mount's a new player, like you say, like I say, Hoyland's a new player. They're not going to jump into their stride straight away and be you know firing on all cylinders. Everybody needs to just fucking relax. It's two games out of 38. Yes, it's not a great result against Spurs. Yes, it wasn't a great performance against Wolves. But for fuck's sake, it's August. It's not May. Let's everybody just relax. I understand it were bad performances, but they got two terrible performances to start the season last season, and they finished third, a League Cup and an FA Cup final. So everybody just needs to relax, in my opinion. It's the modern-day social media era when everybody gets fucking et up about everything as soon as it happens. Just relax. Yeah, Ten but Hag I still think proven, the points... Hag, I mean, Hang on, hang on, hang on. Ten Hag has proven in the past that he can win stuff, that he, he did an unbelievable job with the Ronaldo situation, and he's proven that he can get results. So just give him time, give the team time to build a, a, co- a cohesion, 
and give him a chance before you start writing him off after two fucking games. One no one's writing him off. No one's writing him off at all. No one's saying ten are going. Nah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I ain't saying that at all. Mate, listen to this. I'm not sure. Sport this afternoon. I've heard it. Trust me. No, I'm not sure about that one. But um, I think the points being Dawson made still stand. The, the fact that I say Bruno Fernandes is not a Man United captain. I've seen his antics last year and it stood that I'm going from last year. I'm not going from this year. He's not a Man United captain. That's what I'm saying. And I don't also, agree that he is. I don't agree that, I don't agree that, that Bruno Fernandes should be Man United captain. I'm not, I'm not saying that he should. Yeah, but you're, yeah, but you're, saying, you're, you're saying to calm team. down. I'm saying the points we're yeah. making are, are a fair point. He's, he's not a United captain. Oh, no. And with, also, with Fernandes, and also yeah. you say you say the Wolves game, that they got three points. You watch that fucking game, mate. And nine times out of ten, Watch they lose it. that game. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. It does. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. We're going to go around in circles. Let me talk. I'll no. let you talk, mate. Let me talk. Go on, then. Go on. So the manner of that defeat, the manner of that, sorry, the manner of that victory was fucking shocking. Nine times out of ten, they would have lost that game. Yeah, you can say they got the three points, but back-to-back games, they've lost against Spurs in the second half. There was shit, apparently. I didn't watch second half, so I can't can't say for that. Shocking. In the Wolves game, there was fucking awful. I watched them for 90 minutes. There was absolutely shit. And yes, mm-hmm. yes, they got three points, but Wolves, Wolves' attacking front three are probably the worst in the league. So if they'd have played and against... Wolves probably, destroyed by Brighton at the weekend there you go so if they'd have played against any of the other fucking 19 teams in the league or 18 teams barring Wolves and United they'd have probably lost that game they got a lucky fucking decision they didn't get a penalty that should have been awarded so I think that that Wolves game you can can, it's it's covering shit with sugar because it, it covered up. If they'd have drilled that game, you'd have been probably hammering them right now. But because they won, you're not. It were a bad performance. No, but it, but it, but it doesn't matter in terms of last season. Like I say, they had two even worse performances at the start of last season. They still finished third. They still won a league cup. They still got to an FA Cup final. I agree with you that Bruno Fernandez shouldn't be a Man United captain. I think that's a bad decision. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with Dawson that he's not good enough to play for him. I think he no, definitely is on I, his day. I don't. But what? But no, no, what no, no. Like I said, I'm not. I'm not debating the quality of his player. It's his. It's his manner and demeanour that I think is the issue. I'm not Man for United a second. Have players like that for, Man United have played like that for years. Yeah, they but when they become a detriment to the team, control. they've been moved on. As long as Man United can, as long as Ten Hag can keep it under control, which in the past with Ronaldo, etc., he's proven that he can keep it under control. Sooner, well, I'm talking about Manchester. That, if, if you're saying Manchester United, Roy Keane, phenomenal player, but when always angry, always a leader, everything. But when it started to become a detriment to the team, he was moved on. Dwight York, the amount of stories that, that I've heard two about. Games. But can you say that? No, two but, games? But, but again, like Sam, it's off the back of. It's not two games, is it? That's the thing. It's not two games. But when he's but when he's creating chances for Man United to win games, how, he's not. A but someone can do that. Someone can do that. Who? Who? But anyone can create chances. Like, again, like I said, I'm not debating the... Naming their squad No, I'm no, I think it means, like means, means signings, I think. Yeah, not necessarily but, who they've but, got but now. But it's one of them uh, where... Go on, go on. I'm just saying, I'm not debating the quality of the player. I'm talking about Manchester United in terms of their values, what they're built on, like you mentioned right at the very start with Mason Greenwood. Again, Keane, phenomenal player... What he, How he was worked at the time. As soon as it didn't, he was moved on. Uh, Yap Stan, again... You know, the kind of player that was angry, as soon as it was a detriment to the team, he was moved on. As I was about to say there, Dwight York, the um, phenomenal striker in that treble winning season, as soon as it became a detriment off-field, plays like Rio Ferdinand coming in and he was taking them out partying and stuff like that and Fergie were pulling him in and saying, look, if you want to make it at this club, stay away from him. And shortly after he was moved on, Manchester United are built on the club that it doesn't matter what quality you bring as a player. Obviously, you have to have a certain amount of quality to get in, 
But that quality goes out the window. Again, Ronaldo as well last season. If your attitude and how you present yourself, whether that's on the field, off the field, once that starts becoming a detriment to the team, you moved on. And I feel like, not just off these two games, but last season as well, as a Man United fan watching the games, I'm struggling to see what Bruno offers, not only as a captain, but overall when we talk about what Manchester United is as a team, as their style, as approach, as a club. But you met that point about Bruno off the pitch. Last season, even though Ronaldo was his teammate, he was one of the ones saying he's a bad influence. We need to, you know, we need to either either calm him down or get him out of the club. Bruno Fernandez was saying that about his teammate. So you say that about, you know, he's a detriment to the team, he's a detriment to the club. I've not heard any stories about him going out partying. I've not heard no. any stories about him being. No, it's not always, no but it's not always about but, that, but, but is it? I'm talking about for him pitch, specifically. I'm but saying on the, on pitch, the pitch, he might throw himself around. He might fucking be a dick. He might have a go at referees. He might do that. But ultimately. That's not. He's not a detriment to the team because he's he's throwing his arms in the air. When Ronaldo first joined Man United, he went down if bloody wind blew too hard. But this is the thing: you've got to yeah, but you allow. Captain. You've got to allow a certain. I'm not saying I agree with him being captain. I don't. Don't think he should be captain. You've got to allow that certain element of that personality to be in the team. Yes, he's a shit house. Yes, he makes bad decisions on the pitch. But also, he can make a creative killer ball that can win you a game. Bruno Fernandes should not be the Man United captain. Absolutely not. Completely agree with you. But there's two things out of this. Number one, sometimes you need to have that little bit of, a, of nastiness. You need to have that little bit of cutting edge to win your games. 100%. 100%. No, I don't think he's got it. I don't, I don't think he's got that. But, but you say he's not got that. Tell me, tell me a big game. Mate, tell me a mate, game in Europe. When tell me a game in, When Solskjaer brought him in, he won games on his own for Man United. Numerous right, times. For a period of time. But Ollie left, what, three years ago? But he can still do that. You've just you, the thing is, he's had two bad performances. He had a shocking performance against Spurs in that second half, and ultimately everybody's I chucking the shit toys last out season. Of Pram. Everybody's chucking the toys out of Pram. Everybody just needs to relax and understand. There's 36 games left, right? They had two shocking results to start the season last season. Give him a bit of time. Let Ten Hag work his magic. And for me, if I were a Man United fan, I would trust Ten Hag implicitly because what he's done since he's I been do. at Man United for me is unbelievable. And if you trust Ten Hag implicitly, you should trust that Bruno Fernandes should be part of that team week in, week out. And if in December, he's still a shitbag, he's still not leading the team, and Man United are still not doing well, we'll have this conversation again. But I think it's pointless to do an inquest into Man United's season when they're two games in and they've got three fucking points on board. What's wrong with everyone? I think it's a matter of Beggars can't be choosers, though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of, it's got to play him. It's, it's one of his best attacking options, um, which, I, again, I did kind of agree with him that it probably should have been sold on, but I think it's it's more the fact that what, what else can he do? He's, he's got, he's kind of tied to, to playing Bruno Fernandes, to be fair, so I can't I can't really see him being dropped anytime soon, if if that's what you mean. And there's only so much that Ten Hag can do, listen. End of day, he's not got a bottomless pit of money that he can spend. He's not got, you know, he's not like Pep who can just bring in Gavardiol for fucking whatever it is. Mate, to be, to, fair, make, like, to, to be fair, like, to be fair, I'll, I'll defend United, but they've spent a lot and they've spent a lot they since are. he came No, in. they have, definitely. They, they have. But look at the signings he's made since he's come in. He's made more good than bad. You know that he has. So let's just let him do what he needs to do. It's going to take time. It's a process. Ever since Ferguson retired, Man United's been a fucking shit show. It's going to take longer than a season and two games for Ten Hag to fix it. So everybody just needs to be a little bit patient, understand what's happening, understand the process. And if in December or if in May next year, Anthony's still shit, Sancho's still shit, fucking whatever, let's let's revisit this conversation. But after two games, to be putting an inquest into post-mortem into Man United season... I think it's ridiculous. And I think it's just epitomises 2023 and how quick we are to jump on teams 
when they've already got three points on board. What's all that about? Let's talk about Sheffield United. We can fucking do a post-mortem on that fucker. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm uh, judging Bruno on last season as well, but we'll keep ignoring that point that me and Sam make. But anyway, um, I'm, not I'm not ignoring getting... that point, but you can judge him. Stop on running last about season. two games then. He's a fucking, he's a fucking, he's played killer balls last season for you, won games for you last season. So you can talk about last season all you want, but if he performed like an absolute baller in the first two games, you would not be dragging him over. Up but he and you wouldn't, be, but you wouldn't he even be remembering last season. But but I was talking about him coming in under Ollie and him being unbelievable, but we brushed over that one straight away. Yeah, that, that was three years ago. It were, but mate, it was not like it was last season. You, you're acting like every single game he had last season were a fucking stinker. He played unbelievably well, no, 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 games no. last season. You Some are. games. You're, you're, tell, you're me, tell me a big game season. in Europe. Tell me a, a game against the top six you tell side. Me a big, you tell me a big game in Europe against the top six side that any Man United player had last season. Go on. They haven't. But if he's their best player, if that's what Rashford, we're thinking about. Rashford against Barcelona. All right, then what's up with Rashford then two games in? He's been fucking wank. Let's, let's do a post But he was great him. last season. So again, we're giving him that benefit. I'm saying, in my opinion, That's Bruno last season, was mate. That's shit. last season. That's last season. Yeah, but we're, Kemp, you're, you're, missing, you're missing the point. Now. We're saying last season, Fernandez was missing saying in a Bruno lot of games. Fernandez was saying shit. He was shit all last season. No, I haven't. I've not, I've not said he was shit all last you, season. You, all, you do, all you keep doing is keep referring to last season like Bruno Fernandez were wank. I think you're putting words in our mouth there, to oh, be honest. Then, we, right, neither right, of us have really said what, that. Were not, what are you saying then last season about him? What, what about I'm him saying it's season? a continuation of it. So you keep saying about stop what? judging it, stop making the decision based on two games. And I'm saying I'm not just doing that. I don't think he was good last season. I think he was poor last season. And again, I'm not questioning the quality of the player. I'm not questioning Ten Hag's process. I'm fully I mean, on board with Eric Ten Hag. They won League Cup and they finished third, and they got to the FA Cup final. It was. Yeah, I was whenever whenever I think of Bruno, him as an individual player. Whenever I think of Bruno Fernandez, I always think of that Liverpool game they had last season when they got tanked to Anfield, and he just went fucking awar. And he just went wild. He was, was, was throwing his arms right. He was, he was sat down, and stropping on pitch. He was, was, was pushing. Hmm. He was pushing the uh, the linesman. Like all sorts of weird behaviour. Definitely, it's definitely not. It's definitely not what you want. But none of them Man United players covered themselves in glory because they got slapped six seven nil. So let's again. Keep it in context. It wasn't amazing last season. It wasn't, right? But he's proven in the past that he's got the quality to win games for Manchester United. Can't throw your baby out with bathwater after two games. Like you say, last season, get it? It weren't unbelievable every single game. But for every bad performance in Europe or, or going missing in Europe that I, you know, that, that, that I can't give you, you know, give me one game where Bruno Fernandes was at fault for that game and nobody else was anything to blame. It were all on Bruno Fernandes. It were all his fault. Give me one game where that happened. I ain't got a photographic memory. But again, that's not my point. But it's all right bringing up these bad games last season, yeah. Yeah, because they're the ones that stand out. They're the ones that stand out. But that's the same for everyone, isn't it? Because if someone has good games, you remember that. You remember Rashford was fantastic and had his best season. But I think we're going to have to move on from this very quickly. Are you drilling down on Bruno Fernandes because he's the captain and nothing else? Yeah, 100%. Because A, well, he's the well, captain, well, well, and B, he's seen as their best we've player. We've wasted about not. 10 minutes then. Well, we've wasted about 10 minutes then, because I agree with you that he should be it's captain. About, it's about 25. Well, I agree with you that he should be captain. <laughs> I think but, we need to, but, but we need to saying, a few segments after this. Yeah, what, what I'm saying is, is that the, for Manchester United, in the past, going again, back to your point of Greenwood, about their qualities, how they build, sometimes the quality of the player doesn't matter. Yes, under Oli, he was great in that second half of the season. Yes, his first full season, he was absolutely fantastic. But Keane was fantastic. York was fantastic. Stan was fantastic. All these players over the years, you wouldn't get it at a C. You wouldn't get it at Chelsea and Arsenal or Sheffield United, anyone. We're talking about Manchester United and how they've built their teams over the years. It gets to a point where a 
no matter how good a player is, a Ronaldo as well, they're a detriment to the team. And I'm just starting to feel that how he presents himself on the pitch, and probably you see it more because he is the captain, it's a detriment. That's it. And I'm starting to feel like what he can offer when he's good isn't off worth what he does when it's bad. I think it's very early to say. You talk about last year, he weren't captain last year. You, you, it was for a lot of it though. Maguire it. didn't play a lot. It. He was the vice captain. He was the captain a lot last year because Maguire was dropped a lot. <laughs> I think it's very, very harsh to say that he's a detriment to the squad. Don't think he should be captain. I think it's very harsh to say that he's detrimental to that squad with the players they've got all that thereof. Okay, we'll see in the we'll see in the future. But a little, we will close out a little bit of hope for Manchester United. Um, some stats this week with Eric Ten Hag now taking charge of his fortieth Premier League game. Um, a table was released of points gained in the first 40 games as a Premier League manager and Eric Tan Hag sits second on that four points behind Pep Guardiola Pep got 82 points Eric got 78 so some hope there uh, and also um, just a little bit of uh, a hope for people looking forward to Rasmus Hoyland coming into the squad rumours are that he will be part of the squad against Forest at the weekend but may not necessarily start Any Brighton with 38 have created more chances than Manchester United with 32 in their first two Premier League games this season but only Everton and Burnley having not scored yet have scored fewer goals than Manchester United with one so United are creating chances it seems but struggling to put them away what difference will Rasmus Hoyland make once he is fit and a part of that team we will soon see and discuss when it becomes relevant again um, I was going to talk about the uh, Newcastle and uh, Man City game, a game that was described as mouthwatering by Sam, but I think we've gone way too long with uh, with the Man United talk. But uh, Man City won one nil. Uh, Newcastle gave a pretty good account of themselves. Uh, I didn't see the second half because I put it on my phone and DG took my phone off me and, and watched it herself. But she said that they played much better in the second half. They just couldn't see it through. But I think it's a positive result, isn't it, to go to uh, to Etihad lose one nil shows uh, the progress they've made. But we'll uh, we'll not get into that. Um, Aggie. So so Man United winning is is negative. Newcastle losing is positive. <laughs> So, yeah. Back in your fucking box, son. Back in your fucking box. Man United should be up here. Newcastle, we're down here. We talked about this time last season, mate. Newcastle were in the pits. So, from where they've come from, mate, to where United should be, I stand by it. And I've absolutely no issues with that. Everyone's on the different pedestal, mate. Let's not forget that. Um, So, Adam, you've gone and had your tea. You've been for a 5K run. You've done your pots. You've done some washing. And you're now back with us after all that. Um, Ben Foster. Of Wrexham, you spoke a lot about Wrexham last season with them being in the National League. Your thoughts on the money they spent and the calibre of players they brought in with the level that they were playing at has retired after three league games. In two games this two of the three games this season, he has conceded five goals against Swindon at the weekend and MK Dons in the opening game of the season, and he's made the decision to retire. Um he said that he just doesn't feel like he's up to speed. He said a lot of the goals he's conceded, he's he's questioning himself. He can't figure out why he's not saving them. And he's just come to the decision that he's not up to the level required. And he's retired now to allow Wrexham time with the remaining remainder of the transfer window to get a replacement sorted. So, A, what are your thoughts on the retirement and the reasons for that? And B, what are your thoughts on the timing of when he's decided to do that and step away from the club? I think the reason behind it is showing a lot of respect to Wrexham. Of course, he came out of retirement back to the side in which he started his career. So you've got to give a lot of respect to that. He, he you know, he, he gave them the last parts of what he could actually do, get them over the line in the National League, got them promoted. Then, of course, in League Two, we said that Wrexham and Notts County could probably both give as good as they got 
against a lot of sides in League Two. Wrexham currently, I think, a 15th place. Notts County, I think, are just outside the playoffs. But it goes to show just a different calibre in that step up to League Two that maybe myself as well has been mistaken for not understanding because I said that, you know, both sides could perform well. I think I've got Nuts County winning the league and Wrexham getting promoted. And yeah, that could still happen. I think the reason why he's chosen to go now is respect to Wrexham ultimately. And I think it's the right decision, you know, give them a chance to get somebody in before the transfer window closes within a week's time. Of course, it's different now they are in the Football League. It also gives, I think it's Rob Lainton, isn't it, the goalkeeper that they had before Ben Foster came in, a chance to, you know, get back into the position that he was in. He, he helped Wrexham get into the top of the league and then the position they were in ahead of Notts County and Ben Foster just saw it over the line when he was injured. So they can get back to that sort of, you know, familiarity that they had when they had that goalkeeper that got them so far in the National League. So I think it's the right decision. I didn't like the fact that he came out of retirement in the first place, so maybe my opinion is biased on that. Um, but yeah, I think it's the right decision to do it now, just before the transfer window's closed, because you think about it, if he carries on and starts for Wrexham and they lose another, what, three or four games, the transfer window closes, he leaves, he retires then, he's leaving Wrexham in a load of shit, like you've already said. So retiring now gives them a week, maybe he's given them a bit more notice before now to have a look at another goalkeeper. But I think Rob Lainton's the guy to, to get back in between the sticks for Wrexham and help get them back up towards the playoffs, which we already know that they are more than capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, happy retirement. I was a big fan of Ben Foster. He signed for United, obviously, back in the day. Um, didn't quite live up to the calibre that maybe was expected of him, but w was always a fan of him. Love his podcast. And yeah, he's, he's fortunate enough to have something to fall back on and, and have that yeah. that opportunity to make that decision. But yeah, completely agree with all points there. Uh, we're going to close off football with a subject that uh, Sam and Kemp, you spoke about last week. We mentioned that we weren't really going to talk about it. Um, and then we've ended up talking about and actually watching a lot more games than what we thought we would have done. That's a Women's World Cup. The final was this past weekend on Sunday with Spain defeating England 1-0 um, to lift the World Cup. And to the point you made, I think we're really relevant to the conversation of the growth of women's football. Um, you know, you spoke about how, um, Sam, was it you mentioned seeing the, the, the kid at England women's top, was it? That's right. Yeah, I was in the I was in the barbers, and I turned out turned around and seen the just a, like little six year old, seven year old lad. He'd got the uh, the England women's shirt on, which I thought, oh god, you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have seen that, that back in our uh, day growing up. But yeah, it was it was good to see. Yeah, and it's one of those things that why I just brought that up is like we're watching it because it's on and, and we're seeing it being spoke about whether we agree or disagree with conversations about how to help it grow and all that kind of stuff. Like I didn't realize the women's world cup has been going on since 1991 uh, until I looked it up earlier this week. I didn't realize England came in third place in 2015. Like it's only obviously with the euros a couple of years ago that we've started watching it and realizing like, these are the things that women's football has been played for a long time. The world cup's been going on for over what 20, well, sorry, 30 years. And we're out only now starting to see it on mainstream TV, mainstream attention, and we're actually taking an active interest in it by watching the game. So completely agree with it's it's on the right track. Will it ever reach the, the standard of the men's game? Will it ever reach the standard of how much men are paid at the top level? I think the realistic and reasonable answer is no. But I think if it keeps going at the way it is going, it'd be really good to see where it is in five years' time, ten years' time, because it has got a lot of time to catch up on the men's game. So you know, I'm sure they'll be really happy with where it's at and where it's got the potential to go. But Aggie, you watch quite a few of the games. You are a big proponent for uh, and a big supporter of women's football and where they can be. What do you think about England's performance overall? Off the back of that um, Euros win, getting to the final, falling just short. What are your thoughts? And 
Uh, what are your thoughts on the rumours that uh, Sabrina Weigman will apparently be considered for the uh, the men's national team role uh, if and when Gareth Southgate steps away? What are your thoughts on that? What England have done, what her contribution to that is, and what potentially she could do for the men's side? I think her contribution has been incredible. I think how she's got uh, the women playing, obviously current European uh, champions, getting to the World Cup final, like you said, third place at the last World Cup as well. So what she's done with this current crop of England ladies has been nothing short of incredible. I think moving that over onto the men's side of things, I, I do agree with Kemp that Southgate isn't going to win anything for us. So why not let her come across? I mean, the football she's got them playing, the unity she's got between them, why not? transition that into the men's game if that's something she's interested in in doing of course um this world cup itself it was very steady starting um couple of performances that could maybe lead you to believe we are going to struggle against some of the tougher sides i think australia was one of the top sides that people expected to do really well in the competition um of course spain i think even going into the final spain were slight favorites as well but we had quite a few injuries to deal with and then, as you noticed at the the end, of course, uh, within the final, what, five, ten minutes of, of injury time, that they were just struggling for stamina, struggling for the energy, and it just got too much for them in the end of it. And I think they can be proud of what they've done, the position they got themselves into. Of course, third place last time, second place this time, European champions. What this current crop of England ladies are doing is, like Sam's already pointed out, you've now got kids out there wearing their shirts. And that goes to show the the inspiration that they're giving back to people in England whilst they're out playing football. So, yeah, certainly a, a good situation to be in. Um, and, yeah, if, if obviously um, she makes the, the choice to switch across to, to the England's men team when Southgate's uh, contract eventually runs out and we choose not to keep him for longer, it'd be, it'd be nice to see just how far she can take the men's team. And Kemp, I'm going to come to you very quickly to close us off before we get into the latest in Kempy's combat corner. The biggest anti-Gareth Southgate person that has been of this group. Uh, the the one to raise it quicker than most, not just in our, our circle, but certainly outside of it as well. There, there will at some point be some conversations of women managers moving into the game. We see it in the NFL. There's a, been a huge increase in, in women's staff and coaching staff in the NFL. And at some point, we're likely to see it in, in football as well. Whatever level that starts at, I think Forrest Green pre-season put, put a, a woman in charge. Apologies for, for not knowing the name off the top of my head. But they did move on from that before the season started. But at some point, it will start somewhere. Do you think there's credibility to that? And do you think it shouldn't matter if your tactics are right, if your if your knowledge is right? You know, there's not there's not a question of men are stronger or faster when it comes to a management position, if that makes sense. So, do you think someone like a could be at a top 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 level job like the England men's national team? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, I'd rather have Serena Viegman in charge of the men's England team than Gareth Southgate. Um, the, That's it. Uh, the, the corner. Reason... Let's go. The only reason that I say that is because we we know that Gareth Southgate can't win anything. We know that. We don't know that Serena Viegman can't, so why not just give her a shot? Um, but I do think, in all seriousness, that I, I think you need to earn your stripes in, in whatever you do. And I get that she's the England women's team manager, and, and I get that she's done a really, really good job. Yes, she came up short in the World Cup, but you know won the Euros. And, and from where she's took the England women's team to where it is now, she's made definitely made some positive strides. I think what I would like to see Serena Vigman do before that is, is maybe manage a, a Premier League club. 
um, to, to a bit of success before she did that. There's been a lot of very, very good managers in the past, Harry Redknapp, Brian Clough, that have done unbelievably in English football, men's football, and, and not given the opportunity because they're not the right person for the job in the FA's eyes, and we, we all know about uh, the FA bias um, in that respect. But, yeah, I, I'm not opposed to anybody managing the England national team or any team, for that matter, as long as they get, they get results on the pitch. It doesn't matter whether they're man, woman, doesn't matter what they are. Um, but ultimately, I think you've got to earn your stripes in the in the men's game before you can take over that sort of job at the top level, which is what England is at, at the end of the day. So, yes, it's lovely to see Serena Vigman in the job. But for me personally, I, I think she needs to manage in the men's game before that to a certain level of success before stepping into that type of position. I'm just going to pivot slightly before we go into Kempi's comeback corner. Uh, and I'm going to stay with you, Kempi. I had a question for you earlier that I dropped in the group chat and I quickly removed before uh, before anyone got a chance to listen to my voice clip. Um, and it was briefly mentioned by Dawson a couple of hours later, which I was absolutely fuming about, by the way. Um, so oh. it looks like um, the Blades are signing, um, signing Archer um, for about 18 million, it's looking like, which is obviously a ridiculous amount for Sheffield United. You did say about three or four weeks ago that you didn't want Akpom because she was begrudging paying the 12 million fee that Ajax actually ended up paying. You've got, then gone and paid an extra fucking <laughs> boatload on top of that for, for Archer. What's your opinion on that? Because I, I, I was very interested to hear about that earlier. I think he's got a higher ceiling, most definitely. Um, I, I think there's a buyback clause in with Villa. So, you know, if he does do really well, they'll probably end up buying him back anyway, which nice. is a bit of a shitter. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, I begrudge paying the 12 mil for, for Akpon because I don't think he was worth it. I don't think his ceiling was high enough for us to pay 12 mil. I don't think he's the type of player that... I think he's a really good player, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't feel as though he's got that ability and that potential to, to potentially win games for us in the nitty-gritty, which is what we're going to need this season. We're going to need a striker that's going to win games for us. We've certainly not got that at the moment. Um, I think from what I've seen from from Cameron Archer in his, his time at Middlesbrough and definitely some flashes when he's come off the bench for Villa, I feel like he can do it in the Premier League and I feel like he can put us on his back and win and win games for us. Is it a risk? Yeah, of course it is. When you pay that amount of money for Sheffield United, you look at Rian Brewster. You know, We paid a lot of money for him. And he's not come good, and he's he's permanently on the the injury bench, you know, on the in, uh, physios table now. Um, so it's a risk, of course it is, but ultimately I think it's a more measured risk paying eighteen mil for Archer than it was twelve mil for for Akpom. Um, you might disagree, you might agree, but for me, from what I've seen from both of them, I'm happier with the business and the deal that we've done for Archer, even though it's more for Akpom because I think we're going to get more from it. And like I said, I think his ceiling's higher, and I think it's just the signing that we needed to potentially keep us in the league this season. Fingers crossed. Fair enough. Thank you very much. For me, because I was thinking about this earlier in the week and, and you mentioned it, Kemp, a couple of weeks ago, I think it's another signing where you're preparing to be very comfortable in the championship. Like, How does that sit with you as a Sheffield United fan? It doesn't seem like you're making signings to you know, be relatively comfortable. You're never going to be title contenders of the Premier League, but to be comfortable, what are your thoughts that you seem to be making signs that will make you comfortable in the championship as opposed to, uh, you know, well, pushing for a mid-table. I don't, don't 100% agree. I don't 100% agree. I think Archer is good enough to stay in the Premier League and play in the Premier League. I think Gustavo Hamer is, is good enough to play in the Premier League consistently. Um, I think the difficulty is, Dawson, we've not got the funds to be able to do that. You know, you look at the players that Burnley have signed, that Forrest have signed. We've not got the funds 
to, 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 to sign proven Premier League players that are going to keep us at that level. We understand where we are. We know we're not going to get the money from Tim Pot Prince, Plastic Prince, that's that's going to give us the money to stay in the Premier League. What we're doing is we're signing players from the Championship level that have performed really well there, that hopefully they come good in the Premier League, not spending big bucks because we've not got big, big bucks to spend, but signing players that have performed well in the Championship that are still relatively young, that if, we, if they do do a job for us in the Premier League, Brilliant! They've kept us up. You know, we've all we've done really, really well. But if they don't keep us up and we do get relegated, we're not spending beyond our means. We're not living beyond our means like clubs have in the past and then got into trouble. We're, we're putting ourselves in a position where even if we do get relegated, which is a high likelihood that we do, that we're putting ourselves in a position where we can get back to the Premier League and hopefully have a more sustained run then. And hopefully at that point in time, we'll have new owners that are going to be able to invest in us and buy us decent, solid Premier League players and spend a bit more cash. Than Prince Abdullah is able to at the moment. We'd reckon there, Dawson. Uh, Gustavo Hamer has already got it. Got what it takes to play in the Premier League. Judging him after two games. Back in your fucking box, mate. Oh, uh, mate, uh, not at all, not at all. Saw him for saw him for Coventry all season last season, mate. Were there playing the season. So back in your fucking box, mate. Number one, back in your fucking box. Number one, and number two. When you've seen him score that sort of goal that he scored at Forest away the other night, you'd be getting carried away as well. <laughs> fucking unbelievable. unbelievable. It was a good goal. It was a good goal. That's, uh, that's absolutely Anyway, fair. it's time for Kevin's uh, comeback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> featuring us. All scrapping. He's, he's got Aggie. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll go in the prep me box for a good night's sleep. Kemp, I'm going to pass over to you, mate. Kempi's combat corner. There's a big fight coming up this weekend, which I'll let you and Sam discuss. But first of all, let's talk about the new UFC bantamweight champion, Sugar Sean O'Malley. Take it away, mate. Well, welcome, everybody, to Kempi's combat corner. Welcome to the Sugar Show. As uh, Sean O'Malley is the new UFC bantamweight champion of the world after UFC 292, as Dawson has just mentioned. Um, and yeah, you know what? Loaded Sport is turning into Kempi's Combat Corner tonight. We're all at each other. We're all aggy at each other. Well, that's what draws eyes and that's what draws numbers. And uh, and that's what we like to see. Um, yeah, a, a fantastic event for the main event at the weekend, I'd say, in Boston. Um, every other fight on the card was uh, a little bit like... I just very say quickly interrupt. I don't want to be yeah. that guy. But last weekend, right. you said the, the event was taking place at the Boston Garden. It was a TD garden, mate. It's got a, it's got a oh sorry, it's got a sponsorship, mate. Sorry, I've been mate. there. Un, unreal mate. place, sorry, unreal sorry, gaff. No apologies. Fuming, where that fume is fucking what Boston fucking it right, mate. Is, it, is that what it was called before Boston Garden? Um, I can't remember. Maybe. I'm partially right if it is. Um, yeah, I've not had the fortune to go to Boston, Massachusetts myself, but uh, yeah, Sean O'Malley certainly has been to Boston, Massachusetts, and he won the UFC Bantamweight Championship there in the second round against Aljamain Sterling. A lot of people came into this fight thinking Aljo was going to be too strong for him, take him down, grind him down, get a submission, rear naked choke, and it was going to be Usher wrote and that Sean O'Malley was going to lose quite convincingly to Aljo, the funk master in the main event. Not as it went. The first round was really, really lacking of action. You could tell that Aljamain Sterling was trying to find his range but couldn't quite understand Sean O'Malley's movement in that first round and it made it really, really awkward for Aljamain Sterling to do anything in that first round whatsoever. Aljo did faint a couple of takedowns. Sean O'Malley looked as though he was really in control um, and 51 seconds, it didn't take long at all, uh, into the second round, Sugar Sean O'Malley Caught Aljamain Sterling with a right hand that, that drew a lot of comparisons to Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor all of those years ago um, and put Sterling to the ground and finished him off 
in style at the end of the night. So, as I say, Sugar Sean O'Malley is the new UFC bantamweight champion of the world. Aljamain Sterling will go back, he'll regroup, he'll recover, and hopefully he'll come back even stronger. Because even though uh, Aljo did get some booze in the TD Garden on Saturday night, uh, I think there's a lot of respect in the MMA world for the funk master um, in general. So it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Um, the, the Sean O'Malley's only loss on his record came against Marlon Chito Vera, uh, where Marlon Vera took advantage of an injury by Sugar Sean O'Malley and beat him by TKO, which essentially should have been a doctor stoppage. But these are the, the them's the breaks in MMA sometimes, and that's why it's so difficult to keep that uh, that zero record as long as some people do. Um, I think that's going to be the next fight in December in Las Vegas, Nevada. Sean O'Malley looks like he's going to be defending his first defence against Marlon Chito Vera. And I'm sure Aljamain Sterling will look to bounce back from that defeat. Also on the card, we had got Marlon Chito Vera, who beat Pedro Munoz by a unanimous decision. Um, 30-27, 30-27 on two cards and 29-28 on the other. So it was a very, very unanimous decision win there by Marlon Chito Vera. Mauro Batista defeated Damon Blackshear by unanimous decision in the bantamweight division as well. Really bantamweight heavy card this one was, um, but it's always good to get a lot of bantamweights on the card so that you can um, build up that division when you've got the the, the headliner as, as, uh, with the title on the line. Uh, you'd also got the Conor McGregor Jr., Conor McGregor 2.0, Ian Machado Gary defeating Neil Magny in what was, again, a very, very unanimous decision. One scorecard had it 30 24 for Ian Machado Gary, which means that there was three 10 7 rounds in there, which I, I don't quite see how, how that is possible in MMA, but clearly it is because we got a 30 26, 30 26, and 30 24 decision um, for Ian Machado Gary against Neil Magny, who is going to be moving into the upper echelons, I'm sure, of the welterweight division. Um, Cohen main event of the evening was for the women's strawweight crown, Zhang Wei Li, the fairly, fairly new title uh, holder was facing Amanda Lemos in what a lot of people thought was going to be a very straightforward affair. And it was, um, as Zhang Weili defended her title, winning by a unanimous decision. A bit of a shout-out before we move on to anything else as well. Chris Weidman was defeated by unanimous decision to Brad Tavares. The, the leg injury, the broken leg that he sustained in his previous fight, looking as though it's a little bit too much for Chris Weidman. Um, and it looks as though that may be the last fight of Chris Weidman's illustrious career. The former UFC middleweight champion of the world, ending Anderson Silva's record-breaking run. Um, and if it is, thank you, Chris Weidman, for everything you've done for the sport and providing us with with that with that memory of the night as well. Um, a, a very, very good night, a very, very big occasion. And a bit of a stato for you here, Sam, is that the first ever UFC event I stayed up for was when Anderson Silva broke his leg, kicking Chris Weidman's solid American steel. So that was about 10, 11 years ago now, which makes me feel very, very old. But there you go. Um, Sam, I'm going to stick with you because there's some boxing this weekend and it's for... The Unified Heavyweight Championship of the World is Alexander Usyk against Daniel Dynamite Dubois, Triple D, the UK-born and bred fighter in the main event of the evening in Poland this Saturday night on TNT Sports Box Office. And we're looking forward to this one, Sam. We've actually got a title fight. We've actually got a title fight at the heavier end of the scaling boxing. So I am I'm all in on this. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the undercard's a bit uh, a bit underwhelming, which is a uh, typical for Frank Warren. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Daniel Dubois um, not got a great amount of expectation for him, but you know, fair play to him. Is he's the man of trees? Is he's not turning fights down, which is uh, beggars can't be choosers at the minute. Uh, won 18 of his last 19 fights by knockout, and his only defeat was to Joe Joyce. So, yeah, I'm um, 
I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. I know that I think the defeat was quite quite brutal, wasn't it? I didn't. I've not watched it myself, but I, I was reading up reading up on it earlier. Just got knocked down three times, and I think he did his knee in as well halfway through that fight. Yeah, jo- Joyce basically jabbed the brakes off him. Uh, he just jabbed him all night. Dubois couldn't, couldn't close the distance, couldn't close the range, um, and he jabbed him so badly that I think he broke his orbital bone. Um, and Daniel Dubois ended up taking a knee. I think it was in one of the later rounds, and, and just didn't get up. Just took a a, a knee and uh, and went down for the ten count. Obviously due to that, so uh, gave up a little bit, but but got his face boxed off. So it, it is understandable as to why um, he, he potentially quit in that fight. But having that on his record and the fact that he lost against Joe Joyce, who actually has just lost himself against Zhang, uh, Jay Zhang, or however you say his name. Um, <laughs> but but he lost in quite devastating fashion to Zhang by a, a pretty decent jab. Zhang isn't, I would say, the upper echelon to the division. Oh. And Joe Joyce boxed Dubois' face off in that fight. And, and Dubois ended up retiring. Styles make fights. Fight. Styles so, make fights. But, but do you think that in that respect, that... Dubois is not just a, an outsider for this for this fight, but is a massive, massive Buster Douglas esque underdog. Oh, Buster Douglas against oh. somebody at the level of Alexander Usyk. Bearing in mind, he got outboxed by Joe Joyce, who, let's be honest, is is not yeah. the best heavyweight in the world in his own right. So, where do you stand on that? Yeah, maybe maybe so. Buster Douglas is a fucking right right shot that is, but. Um... It's, it's it's one of them, and it? it's got a puncher's chance. Is 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 very powerful, but Usyk, Usyk has, has dealt with them kind of customers, you know, all his career. So I've got no reason to think why Usyk, Usyk could lose this fight. Um, yeah, if if I'm if I'm putting my my money on it, I'd probably say probably say tenth round stoppage from Usyk. Um, I think Dubois is going to give. I think he's going to give him as, as good as he can get. But I don't. I don't think in the end he's going to be able to lay too much of a glove on him. Uh, I think Usyk's defense is going to be just far too superior. And he's going to be able to keep him keep him at range for the majority of the fight. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And I think in terms of the quality that Daniel Dubois has got, I would rate him at the same sort of level as maybe a Dillian White in terms of his quality as a fighter. Yeah. I think the difference is is his heart, and I think he showed against Joe Joyce that is a little bit of a quitter in that respect because yes he got jabbed his face off yes he ended up fracturing his orbital bone and he injured himself or whatever but you look at that I'm going to bring in a really random reference here do you remember David Hay against Tony Bellew when <laughs> yes David, David, David Hay on one leg when David Hay's leg was literally falling off and he carried on fighting, carried on slugging his way through the fight. And he was absolutely doing his best to get through. I think Daniel Dubois quit very easily in that fight. And I think it was a very strong case for him to carry on. Listen, I've been in sparring. I've never been in an actual boxing match myself. I understand that it must be very difficult. But I think at that top level, you've got to have that heart of a lion. And I think Daniel Dubois, after that fight, showed us that he hasn't quite got that. So I'd love for him to prove me wrong. Um, but I, I, I think if he did have that, it would be a USIC unanimous points decision because he just can you imagine that? And stay away. Can but you imagine? Having said that, but having said that, I think he hasn't got that heart, and I think USIC will come on strong like he did in the Tony Bellew fight, and I think he will put him away in the later rounds. I'm going to go a tenth round stoppage for Alexander USIC. It won't be a knockout or anything like that. I think the Dubois will run out of steam, and I think the referee will wave it off. Um, can you imagine? And and you know what? No, I can't imagine. I can't imagine a way that Daniel Dubois does get this done. Daniel Dubois is a nine to one underdog in terms of a knockout, and he's fifteen to two just to win at all. Buster Douglas was forty-two okay. to Buster oh. Douglas was forty-two to one. Yeah, to I didn't think Mike it was quite that level. I didn't no, think it's not it quite that level. It's not <laughs> that level. But 
what I would compare it to, Sam, and I don't know if you'll agree, I think this is the same sort of chance that people gave him pre-fight as maybe an Andy Ruiz against uh, Anthony Joshua in that third Yeah, that's, that's a good comparison. I think it would be about that same sort of level of upset. But I think the difference is, is that Usyk is, is is much more of a tricky customer and much more skilled than, than AJ ever was. And we saw that in two fights. And I think, like you say, Sam, there, I think the only chance that Triple D has got um, is that he does land that big punch. But Usyk is probably the hardest man in the heavyweight divisions to land that punch on. Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to compare it to the AJ Hellenius fight with the, the gap in, in skill. But yeah, I think the Ruiz one probably sits better with me just because Daniel Dubois is he's an half-decent boxer. He's got a bit of power about him. That um, Hellenius didn't really show anything, did he? Let's be fair. So yeah, probably more Ruiz-Joshua sort of level fight. is is no, nowhere no tomato can, as they say. Um, it's, it's definitely got a puncher's chance, but it's one Usyk will probably fully expect to, to dispatch. Yeah, definitely not a tomato can. Like you say, he, when he came out into the uh, into the pro game, um, there was a lot of lot of hype behind him. He's a really talented kid. Obviously, he's, he's only twenty five years of age. He's still really young in his career, um, but he's not really got any recognisable names on his resume. Mm. He's not really beat anybody of any any worth. Uh, and like you say, the only fight that he did have and 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 the test that he had was Joe Joyce and and, and he boxed his face off. So I, I don't give Daniel Dubois as much of a chance as 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 uh, well as, as much of a chance as as anything really. I don't think I give him a chance at all. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see, and that's why Sam, that's why you celebrate that we've got a heavyweight title fight. That's why we love heavyweight boxing. Absolutely. In an instant, it can change, and you can get knocked spark out, and it can happen to anybody, including. Alexander Usyk. So for me, I'm going to go with a 10th round TKO for Alexander Usyk. I know you said TKO, Sam, but you didn't specify round. I did, mate. I did. Oh, I, did I, I said 10th. Yeah. So oh, did I said you? Yeah. I thought, I thought you was going to say, so I agree that with you. That must be where I got it from. You then. never That's said it. Yeah. I got it from. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, I didn't register that you'd said that, but I, subconsciously I must have... Uh, yeah, Possibly so. Yeah. I said 10th yeah. so round stoppage. I did. I did. I said that. Yeah. So I, I agree with you and you agree with me. So yeah, 10th round for me, you uh, will uh, win quite comfortably, I think, in the end. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just fantastic to see that we've got a heavyweight title fight to watch on a Saturday night, which you just can't quite beat it no absolutely not and uh, you can't beat heavyweight boxing and you know what you can't beat finishing Kempi's comeback corner on something that I never expected to to, to say on this episode of Loaded Sport we're in agreement and we love each other hey. still. so let's, let's leave it there yes get in and uh, me and I are about to ruin it by tagging in and talking about F1 so uh, go fuck yourselves um, it was fun while it lasted weren't it but anyway um, Adam it's been uh, it's been what four weeks, and now we return to the Netherlands, the Dutch Grand Prix. I would normally start this by saying, you know, what's been the news. Sometimes we have some driver changes, but there hasn't really been anything, uh, unless I've missed something since uh, the, the the last Grand Prix. I don't think there's really any news of of any note. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, mate, you're absolutely right. It's been quite quiet in terms of uh, driver changes. Of course, the last word was Daniel Ricciardo. There's uh, rumours that Nick DeVry will not be racing next season, but they're all rumours at the moment. So in the next couple of months, we'll find out a little bit more about just what driver changes we're going to expect heading into the new season. But as it stands at the moment, we are, as you were before the uh, the little uh, summer break, of course, 
Uh, for those that aren't aware, Max Verstappen is, of course, 125 points clear at the top uh, ahead of his teammate, which means Red Bull are 265 points ahead of Mercedes at the top of the Constructors' Championship after winning 12 out of 12 races so far. So we can pretty much confirm that unless there's been some massive upgrades from other teams or a massive downgrade from Red Bull, we are going to be looking as business as usual um, as they take the uh, the Constructors' Championship for the second consecutive year. There's been a lot of uh, talk about Lewis Hamilton sticking around with Mercedes. I believe them contracts were almost all set and signed, which means he'll be continuing for at least another year, which means Lando Norris, who is currently starting to turn things around for McLaren, will probably have to wait a little bit longer before he gets his big break, unless Ferrari come in with, um, with a contract op- offer for him at some point as well. It's really difficult, you know. <laughs> You've acknowledged it on the air, man, and no one knows. Someone's just pulling a really good on his face at him, seeing how long it took him to break. And it was about 37 seconds. So, I did well, that's uh, good for me. Next week, Sam. Yeah, it's pretty good for you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is pretty much business as usual, isn't it, with what you've just said there. Um, Mercedes, McLaren really performed much better in those last three or four races between the before the break. So it be interesting to see if they can maintain that. Uh, I did say towards the start of the season that a lot of people were reporting that we'd not noticed the... Um, the, the, the restrictions put on Red Bull or the consequences on Red Bull until the second half of the season. So maybe that's where their downgrade lies. But if Max goes and wins by 30 odd seconds this weekend, we, we've got to assume that maybe we won't see that. And it'll just be get through the rest of this season and uh, hopefully see a bit more of a competitive um, championship race next season. But as always, I suppose we've got to do our, our predicted podiums. Sam, Lando Norris is tied third favourite to win the race. He is tied third favourite to get a podium spot. Uh, Max Verstappen is naturally the favourite. Sergio Perez naturally second favourite with him being in the other Red Bull. And then it is a tie between Lando and Lewis for that third spot. So I'll come to you first, mate. Do you think the bookies have got it pretty much nailed on? Where where do you predict the... uh, the, the Dutch track, to give you a bit of an idea, it's a bit like a roller coaster. It's not really straight. There's a lot of slants and driving around bends and all that kind of stuff. It is a tough one when you play the game. So the potential for accidents, the potential for incidents, but where where do you think uh, the, the, the race will, will stand when it finishes on Sunday? I think I'm going to go for Lando to get his first ever win. Aggie. McLaren fan, is that naivety or is there some logic logic to it? I love it. All you need is Red Bull getting a bit too much for each other and knocking it. each other out, and that's it. Let Lando go through. What what I'm saying is, what I'd like, what I'm pleased to see, is the fact that a side of the Red Bulls and McLaren is up there as one of the favourites to get at least on the podium. So it's good to see us back at that sort of height as well. We've not been there for a long time, at least on this sort of consistent basis, even when Daniel Ricciardo and uh, Lando managed to get us a uh, 1-2 just a couple of years ago as well. So, yeah, it's good to see us back up there. I'd like, of course, to see Lando get the win. All it takes is a bit of... uh, battling between Checo and Max. We've seen Red Bulls collide before. We know that sometimes things can get a little bit heated, especially with all this talk in the media about whether Checo is going to be with Red Bull, of course, for the foreseeable. It's going to be very uh, up in the air and he's going to have a point to prove. So maybe it does take that little lunge that might push Max out of the way and allow Lando to go through. So who knows? But yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Do you want me to go on with my prediction now? Of course. Yeah, just with you being quiet, man. That's no problem. Yeah, no, of course. I'll go on with my predictions. Then I'm going to go with, uh, as much as I'd like to see it, I am going to go with uh, Max still in first place. 
But I am going to go with Lando and Lewis to make up the rest of the podium. I do think that the pressure is just going to be too much for Perez. When we saw him at, um, at uh, McLaren, he just didn't seem to have enough to be able to be competing on a regular basis. And with Max Verstappen just as good as he is, I think you could probably only pick maybe one or two drivers on the entire of that grid and put them in the car alongside Max and say that they're going to be able to compete. Yes, Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton is one of those. Sergio Perez is not. So as it stands at the moment, Max is the outright winner as far as I'm concerned and Perez is just going to keep slipping off. So yeah, L uh, Lando and Lewis to make up the rest of the podium and just continue. I think, is it going to be like the first time ever it's three consecutive podiums made from two British drivers? Is that right? It would be, yeah, it would yeah. be. Um, I agree, Max, you've got to guess wins. It's his home Grand Prix. It's probably one of the only the only uh, races of the season where the crowd will be full pro max and, and cheering on wildly for that victory. I think Lewis gets second and Lando gets third. I, I fancy Lando to get another podium. I fancy that stat and that record to come through. Um, so that's my prediction there. But again, give it probably one race, but two or three races, just let teams settle back in. They will have been doing work over that summer break. So it will give us a good indicator of what the second half of the season will look like with uh, what they deliver at the weekend in the Dutch Grand Prix. So that's F1. We'll review that next week. Um, and we will close off. I think this is the first time I'm talking about it because I was on holiday two weeks ago and then I missed last week. But the National Football League is the last week of pre-season games. The regular season starts. We are two weeks away. Um, and we will be doing a uh, an NFL season preview like we did with football. That will be in two weeks' time. Can't wait to record that. It's all happening now. NFL fantasy drafts next week. So, yeah, Sam. Any uh, any worthwhile news to talk about? Any rumours or reports that you think are worthy of any of our opinions or discussions? Not so much discussions, just a couple of headlines. Obviously, you've got uh, the books have, have uh, decided that Baker Mayfield will be their number one going forward. Um, we've just heard that Trey Lance of the 49ers is actually going to be their third string quarterback, which is absolutely fucking unbelievable to say what the I game was from. Yeah, that's the biggest news of a lot, I think, that, isn't it? Yeah, it, to say, Brock Purdy, they've said he's going to be the consensus number one, obviously. He led the team so well last year, got injured. They said it's 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 his when he's, when he's fit to return, which it looks like he will be. And then Sam Darnold will be his, his backup. So, yeah, Trey Lance, say fourth on Greece. I think he's only played about 50 snaps in his entire footballing career, which is... A little bit crazy to see how much the Niners gave up on him. But yeah, pre-season, uh, watched a bit of, bit of the Packers against the Patriots the other night. Watched the first quarter while Jordan Love played. Uh, love, loving what I'm seeing from him at the minute. Um, I will say one thing that I've noticed with the Packers to keep your eye on for, throughout the season. A little, little tidbit here for you. A little, little look at Kemp, he's trying to give me some back. Uh, yeah, the centre for Green Bay, Myers, or Mayers, he um, he's not looking good. He's had a really bad preseason so far. Um, Ooh, watch snap. Oh, say that again, mate. You, you're lagging. Oh, here we go again. I said. On, I said he's oh, a bit shaky. Oh, shaky, yeah. Sorry, I'm just going to plow on. Yes, uh, he, is, he is very shaky. Uh, botch oh, snap in the uh, botch snap in the uh, the Packers-Patriots game. Uh, it looked originally like it was a Jordan Love fumble, but it, it wasn't. We went back and reviewed it, and it was just a really... It had not called for the snap, and he just decided to snap the ball when, when the quarterback wasn't ready. So, yeah, from, from Jordan Love's perspective, I'm seeing a lot of good things about him. I think we can win win a good, good amount of games with him. And... Uh, and it, I'm dying to say my bold prediction, but I, mean, I am going to save it for the uh, the NFL 
NFL preview, but yeah, my bold prediction is roughly around that that area in football. So yeah, just a little little clue there to where I'm going for that. But yeah, other than that, it's preseason. Um, Aggie, as your Seahawks been doing? Have you been keeping on them? Uh, what's what's the news with them? Yeah, mate, I've watched the uh, the highlights of the first two preseason games. Um, very promising against the Vikings. Nice little win against the Cowboys. A little bit of a worry when uh, Smith and Jigba got a little bit of a uh, injury. Ooh, yes. But looks yes. good to uh, coming back for the first game of the season. Even if he doesn't, I still have confidence against the Rams with both um, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, especially now they haven't got Jalen Ramsey. It's a little bit less for us to, uh, to worry about with them. Um, K9 looked good Drew Locke looked quite good even though he's going to be the backup to Geno Smith it's good to see that we've got two competent quarterbacks at the moment that we can rely on if we need to yeah looking uh, very good uh, Devin Witherspoon as well quite impressive we obviously took him in the, uh, the I think it was the sixth pick wasn't it um, in yes. the draft so yeah looking uh, very promising as well I think that's a hell of a first game Seahawks um, Seahawks Rams I think I know you said uh you still still fancy yourselves even with um, Smith and Jigba out, but I think the return of Stafford, I think the return of um, I can't think of the uh, the Cooper receiver. Cup. Dawson's gonna kill me for that. Who's the receiver? Cooper Cup. Cup, Cooper Cup. Of course it is. Fucking hell. They pretty much named him a dog after him. Should remember that one. Um, yeah, I think that's gonna be a really good game. Probably one of the better games of of week one. So it's it's, it's the game that I've got a little little earmark next to that. I'll be I'll be keeping my eye on for sure. Nice. I'm uh, I'm hoping that it's going to be a win, and I'm a bit more comfortable with it than I have been in previous years. But yeah, a uh, lot of promising things to come out of preseason. Uh, we'll we'll jump across uh, to Kemp then with uh, the Giants. Anything to to really tell us about anything you've seen from them? No, not really. Not not a bit boring from me. But uh, yeah, I I I would say I know Ag, you've not been following the NFL maybe as as, as much as or as long as as the rest of us have. Um, I know you say there were a couple of good performances from the Seahawks, and that's great, um, but really, really don't read anything into it like, at all. Because no, I know in football, like association football preseason, you can look at a couple of performances and think, oh, we played really well. We're boding quite well for the season. And sometimes that can be the case. But with the NFL, because there are so many rookies fighting for their places in the squad, because there are so many people that are going to be on probably the practice squad or or potentially you know getting injured and stuff like that, I get it. It's hopeful. What I would say is look at what Sam said in terms of their centre. I'd be looking right now for people that are making mistakes rather than people that are making good plays because that's what you tend to find in pre-season, that you look at the players that are making errors, players that look injury-prone, that sort of thing. That's what really what you want to keep your eye on. But at this moment in time, everything looks pretty, pretty rosy in the Giants' world. A lot of people writing us off. A lot of people saying we're going to be near the bottom of the NFC East this year. Let's let's uh, get them NFL productions done because I'm uh, yeah I'm going to be quite bold I think in in some places but we'll see we'll see Dawson we're getting too giddy for it already um, aren't we yeah my money's on DJ to be crown MVP as your uh, bold you prediction. stole it we'll save, save it save it save it don't give it away uh, in terms of the Patriots same old, same old, to be fair. A couple of players, skilled players that I've found to make some exciting plays, but historically, I'll get excited about I'm going to get caught, so I'll um, I'll wait until the official uh, squads are announced before I start potentially naming them as my uh, breakout player, but yeah, I'm excited for this season. I know a lot of people are saying Patriots are going to get absolutely battered, considering the division they're now in, but I think they, they've made some positive steps and positive changes on, on off the field that are going to, you know, 
help the team progress on the field. So I'm looking forward to it. But again, we'll save that for two weeks' time. Um, that is it, lads. That is episode 64. Let's talk weekends. Sam, I am going to have to come to you first, mate, because I know Sam and Kemp's answering. It's going to be a bit of a LinkedIn conversation. So uh, what have you got planned for this week? Yeah, so <clears throat> Friday night, I don't think I've got many plans from usual shopping. And then Saturday, watching a lot of football, watching Derby, and I will be watching the Everweight Boxing in, in the evening. Um, Sunday, it's Bank Holiday, isn't it? It's Bank Holiday weekend and all. Oh, it? shit, yes. It's Bank Holiday. Boys, I've just, boys, boys. Just realised as I'm saying that out loud. Yeah, I've got I've got Sunday and Monday just to chill the fuck out and, and do whatever I want. So, yeah, it's, it's a great weekend coming up, and I, and I can't wait. Ken, sell the dream to the viewers. What's happening this weekend? Oh, I'm not sure I'll be able to sell the dream this weekend to viewers of Loaded Sport, not Loaded Sports Entertainment. But yeah, this weekend, what's he doing? The uh, GM or assistant GM or whatever it is, uh, the Jack- director of football operations, I think they call him, at the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, the um, owner and chairman. Chief executive. Chief executive of Fulham, Fulham Football Club as well. Uh, Tony Khan, bless his little heart, uh, son of Shahid Khan, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars and Fulham Football Club, has decided to put his fledgling wrestling company into Wembley Stadium. 80,000 plus people are going to be packing out the uh, the, 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 the Capital City Stadium um, for, for the event this Saturday, this Sunday night, uh, as you say, on Bank Holiday Weekend. Myself, Dawson, and Aggie are all going to be there representing loaded sport in, in very different ways. That, no, 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 let's not talk about him. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a fantastic occasion. I'm really looking forward to it. Again, it's not really something we talk about on loaded sport. It's not sports. It's sports entertainment. It's pro wrestling. We know what it is. It's a form of entertainment. It's not sport. But a fantastic weekend nonetheless, because it looks like I'll be playing a bit of golf on Saturday. I might be playing for Jesus Christ FC on Saturday afternoon. Who knows? And then Sunday, like you say, we're going to be going bright and early down to London um, to watch All Elite Wrestling. Uh, staying over on Sunday night, and I'm, I'm sure maybe nursing potentially a couple of sore heads on Monday morning. But we'll uh, we'll see where we go from there. So, uh, Dawson, there's not really much else I, you can add to that, because similarly to your weekend plans. But what are you going to be doing on Friday and Saturday to try and mix it up? Um, I have absolutely no idea yet, mate. To be fair, I've got nothing penciled in. Um, Friday will probably just be chilled. Saturday might nip into town. I've got my hair cut. You've got you haven't bowled. Are you having? Are you still having? I can't believe I forgot about that. Man. It's afternoon, isn't it? It's afternoon, isn't it? I don't know. You booked it. No, no, no. But what time, time are you in? Secretary? What time are you in? What time uh, are you in? Afternoon, I think. I don't yeah, know. Um, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm basically after you. Yeah. So I'm also getting my head cutthroated, as you can see. I've got a lovely shiny bald head. And then in honour of, of Dax Harwood, uh, somebody who's, who's performing this Sunday at AEW All In, I'm getting the moustache sorted out, the beard shaved. And the moustache is getting dyed a nice little dark brown colour to add to the effect. So my partner's not very happy about that, but I'm sure it's going to be uh, the main event of the weekend, Dawson. Joking, aren't you? I'm absolutely buzzing. <laughs> you might be, but my other partner's not. <laughs> Aggie, talk us through your weekend, mate. We're Me and Kepper are obviously getting together. I know you said we're representing, but you won't be with us. You've got your own plans for Sunday. So, uh, Talk us through your weekend from your point of view. 
Yeah, um, Saturday I'm going to be working, covering Stavely once again um, in another home game. And then on Sunday, of course, making the trip down to London, getting there about quarter past seven. Unsure at the moment whether I'm going to be heading straight to the hotel or taking a little detour to see uh, the scenes in which Ted Lasso was filmed. So we're going to see just how much time I've got at the point. Um, Of course, with it starting a little bit earlier now, it might change the plans ever so slightly. Go for a drink, maybe watch the football. And then, uh, of course, head to uh, the big event. The set-off there is uh, at quarter past seven, and I get a nice little lie-in before the coach back at uh, 12 o'clock. But for a £19 return, you can't really complain too much, can you? No, you can't at all. For anyone that's ever fuming about train prices, give the National Express a go, because, yeah, you can't argue with that. I think we'll be uh, a similar sort of time. Um, I think we'll be looking at around maybe half six-ish get some breakfast on the way, do what we're doing in the morning, then Kempi wants to grab a pint somewhere to uh, hopefully see Sheffield United put on at least a respectable performance for the visit of uh, Manchester City. Fuming that it's on telly, bless him, because he was due to go on Saturday for it, but it got moved, so now he's got to watch it with me in a pub. And when I'm telling him City are going to batter him, and then I'm giving him hot flex on the back of his ear, telling him I'm rarely wrong. Because <laughs> I agree with what. you on that, so you can't do that one. <laughs> no, no, I can, because I'm still not wrong. <laughs> don't matter what you think, I'm still not wrong in that situation. So fair any enough. excuse, but uh, fair, fair looking, enough. Fair enough. looking forward to it. I know, like you say, we're, we're loaded sport. We're not loaded sports entertainment, but I can't wait, mate. We've uh, we've travelled all over for for some shows in the past, so uh, I feel like this is the peak and the epitome of of all those years and all those miles travelled and stories. So yeah, I, I can't wait. And yeah, I'm, uh, I think we might be a little bit sore. And I'm glad you're driving. Not that I could. But yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're driving, mate, because I'd rather not be if, uh, if we do end up going out. But that's episode 64. That's a full squad back next week, lads. We've got a bit of football talk. We've got to break down a few things. And the week after, it is the return officially of the National Football League. I can't wait. I'm sure, sure you can't either. Sam, try your best to save that bold prediction with all your might for, for this next couple of weeks, mate. But I can't wait to hear what it is. Wonder if it will be as bold as A, Kemp, and B, his bold prediction that Manchester United will win the Premier League this season. We'll see. It's spoiler been two alert, games. Spoiler alert. Us. Spoiler alert. No, it's not that bold. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Two games. Two games. Let's not, let's not get ahead of us. Anyway, Aggie, close us off, mate, with your quote of the day. I don't have a quote of the day. Get back in your fucking box. There you go. That'll do. I'll steal that one. <laughs> Fucking hell. Shit his pants. Arse fell out then, did it? It is. Stage fright. Good night, everyone.